You are listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, where it's all about responding with confidence to the legal, financial, and personal challenges created by disability, unexpected illness, or simply aging in general. Join us weekly as elder law attorneys Tim Takis, Barbara McGinnis, Chris Johnson, and other members of the Takis McGinnis Elder Care Law Team talk about the tools, techniques, strategies, and services that will make the elder care journey easier for everyone involved. Get ready, because aging starts now. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 58 of Aging Starts Now. Today, we are talking about special needs trusts. What are they and who needs them? I am Dana Henschel, and I'm the Outreach Coordinator for Takis McGinnis Elder Care Law, and I'm moderating today's conversation. And joining us are Tim Takis and Chris Johnson, two of the attorneys here at Takis McGinnis Elder Care Law. So let's kick it off uh, with Chris. Can you start by just simply telling us what is a special needs trust? Yeah, Dana, and that's an excellent question. I'm sure lots of our listeners They hear that term bandied about and they're not really sure what it is. And what's funny is a lot of people don't know exactly what a trust is. And so I think starting at the 30,000 foot view, a trust is a legal entity that can hold and manage property for the benefit of another. Now, there are all sorts of different types of trusts out there. And the one we're talking about today are special needs trusts. So what special needs trusts do is they manage and hold property for the benefit of someone who has some type of disability, some type of impediment to the point that they're receiving, typically they're receiving government benefits in one way, shape or form. And many of those government benefits are means tested. And we want to make sure, and the law uh, obviously provides for these mechanisms that, that our, uh, our government wants to make sure that these people can benefit from this property that was allocated for them while at the same time not being kicked off the government-provided benefits. Because what often happens is people will receive an inheritance, and that inheritance will be a, a nice bump to what they have but it is not a long-term solution to their problem. And so the special needs trust has the ability to hold that property and allow the recipient to still benefit from them while maintaining their eligibility for the government benefits. So they're not put in the quote unquote horns of the dilemma where they have to make this choice between taking this short-term inheritance, which is not gonna cover a long-term problem or trying to say no to it, and we're going to get into it later, while that path is even worse uh, for those that don't understand it, uh, and trying to maintain their government eligibility. And so that's where the special needs trust comes in. It's a tool for a specific set of individuals to make sure that they can maintain their benefits and uh, allow them to benefit from the property allocated to them. Okay. So what I have learned since working here is that there are lots of different types of trusts. And I'm wondering, is that the same for special needs trusts? Yes, absolutely. 
And so with special needs trusts, you, you, they come in a variety. Um, you can have something called a testamentary special needs trust, and that's one that's embedded into a will. And there are certain uh, advantages to that. Uh, and there's also uh, a great deal of limitations regarding that, uh, especially when it comes to spouses. Then we have uh, first party special needs trust, which is called self-settled special needs trust. We have pooled special needs trusts, and then we have third-party special needs trusts. So yes, there's a wide variety, and a lot of it depends on who's funding the trust or who's setting up the trust uh, and how it's being set up. Great. Tim, do you want to weigh in on what is a self-settled special needs trust? Well, as Chris said, a self-settled special needs trust is also a what's called a first-party special needs trust. And kind of the way to look at that is, is that uh, and, and Chris alluded to that was a person who has a disability or a special needs or, you know, and maybe is receiving a public benefit like 10 care or SSI, supplemental security income, you know, or, or Medicaid. Uh, they're getting this money, you know, as say as an inheritance or, or a gift, somehow they're gifted it to them. And so now they get this money. You know, and because they now now that money belongs to them and they saying, well, I've got this money and, you know, I really I really don't need it or I or I would like to have it. But because I've got this money, uh, I can't continue to draw SSI supplemental security income or I can't continue to draw Medicaid or 10 care. And so it will kick me off of Medicaid. So I might say, well, maybe I shouldn't keep this money. Uh, and so, you know, the, the, the idea there is, is that now that I've got this money, I'm, I'm the, I'm the first party that has it. And so since it's my money, I need to do something with it, you know, and so a self-settled special needs trust would basically mean I'm going to take this money and I'm going to put it into a trust or, or transfer it to a trustee to hold for me for my benefit uh, yeah, and so that I can retain or keep my public benefits. But what we do know under those circumstances, there are strings attached to that. Right. You know, and essentially the major string that's attached to that is, is that, you know, now that I have this money that has been given to me or gifted to me or, or inherited, um, I, the only way that I can re stay on public benefits if I put it into a special needs trust, but the string that's attached to it is essentially it means, you know, that when I die, you know, that money has to go back to the government to reimburse the government for what it paid for, for, for benefits for me. So that's really the string that's attached to that. Interesting. So, why can't someone just refuse this new income or gift? Because it sounds like it's a lot more trouble than it's worth. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll, I'll jump in on that one. The uh, And that goes into those pitfalls for the uninformed, because that's what a lot of people think. And in fact, we still see a client every now and again. Thankfully, it's getting rarer. But we'll have someone come into our office who said they were advised, oh, are, are you on SSI? Are you on TinCare? And you're about to inherit something? Just disclaim it. Just let, 
you know, the personal representative of the will, let them know that you don't want that, your share of the inheritance. The problem with doing that is it sounds simple. It sounds like it should be an easy solution. And this is where just because it's logical and just because it makes sense, it doesn't mean it's the right answer. And when you're on government benefits, if you're on TINCARE, you're on SSI, there are certain rules that are attached. And one of them is you can't just give things away. And even though technically I know the individual's thinking, well, um, this really isn't my property. I'm not giving it away. I'm just not taking it. The law will see it that if you, if it was due to you, it's yours. And now if you disclaim it, not only are you not going to get the benefit of that property that was allocated for you in that will, but they are also, you are going to get penalized by TINCARE or SSI for the refusal of it. And they are going to treat it as if you gave that away. And that can be a real shocking event, especially if someone finds that out after they've already made the disclaimer. And so whenever you get one of these big choices, remember to reach out to competent counsel and reach out to an attorney who's trained in this area and in this field and can navigate you through that process because sometimes you will get a quick answer or this is what my neighbor did and those are not necessarily the right answers and you can find yourself in, in a, whole, a real big mess if you are not very prudent and go out and uh, tap into the community resources that you have available to make sure you get the right answers because the last thing you want to do is disclaim the property and then find out you're also kicked off your benefits and wonder how the heck did I get here. Yeah. And I got, and I would add to that uh, is probably even the, maybe even the worst thing to do would be is to maybe take the money you know, and then don't tell TenCare or Medicaid or SSI that you've got it, because that creates a real problem. I mean, that's they, right. And there, and pe some people will think that. Some people will think, well, maybe it's just you know, it's above the limit, but it's not is you know, it's not enough to make a big deal out of. And and Tim's absolutely correct. It is a big deal. Yeah. And if you don't report it then you're going to really find yourself in a hot mess. Yeah, and that's called fraud. <laughs> oh, wow. fraud. Fraud, capital F for felony. So, Wow, thank you for clarifying that. Yeah. Um, so who could benefit from a third-party special needs trust, and, and how is that or is it different from a self-settled special needs trust? Tim, do you want to take that? Sure. A third-party special needs trust essentially is a trust that somebody, you know, maybe a family member, a friend, you know, is essentially setting up a, tr a trust with his or her own money for the person who is who is on public benefits. So we typically see that happen if you've got a, let's say, a, a, a parent. Parents often come to us and say, well, you know, I'm in my 70s or 80s and I've got a 60 year old child who has special needs is on is on SSI and Medicaid. So what should I do? So rather than, you know, rather than, say, leaving the money to somebody else, you know, and say, well, would you, you know, like to us to another siblings and say, well, 
I want you to make sure that I'll get, I'm going to give you this money, but I, I hope that you will use it for my son. Uh, that's like one of the things, you know, what we say is, well, we hope that they do the right thing. But a third, the, the third party special needs part of that is, is that, well, it's the parent's money. So they're setting it aside in a trust for the benefit of their child. That's a third party trust. You know, and as Chris said, a testamentary trust is one where it only comes into effect when the person that's creating the trust, you know, in that case, the parent dies. It's, it's, it's established in a will, say, for instance, uh, or if, if it's a trust that's created during the parent's lifetime, you know, it's called a inter vivos trust, um, which basically means it was created during that person's lifetime for the benefit of the child. But it's still a third. It's still a third-party trust. So, if money is in a third-party special needs trust, can the recipient still use that money? How does that work? Yeah, uh, I'll chime in on that one, Dana. So, yes, that money is allocated for the beneficiary. So, when money is held in trust, you have the beneficiary of that trust in any type of special needs trust, obviously the name beneficiary, that money's there for them. So yes, in a third party SNT, the beneficiary can use that money, but there's two things that really need to come into play. Number one is the trust has a trustee. And that I always kind of uh, refer to them as the nozzle. They're the person who decides how much, if any, of what's in the trust comes out and what is it coming out for. And so the trustee is going to be the person who controls when the resources of the trust go out to the trust or to the beneficiary. And they're going to decide for what, because with a special needs trust, there are also rules on what it can be used for. And so you, it'll depend on the benefit. But like, let's say we have someone who's on SSI. Well, SSI is meant to help take care of food and shelter. And so things like your rent, food, gas, electricity, those things are all considered part of your food and shelter. And so if you use that, it's going to be considered in-kind maintenance and support. And so the trustee can be putting those benefits in jeopardy by spending money, assets of the trust on those things. The same thing with giving the recipient cash directly. Uh, and so what they need to do generally is follow those rules. Now, they don't always have to. The trustee, depending on how the trust is drafted, sometimes they can make a decision if they think, well, this is in the recipient's best interest and long term, it is not going to harm the uh, beneficiary who is also the recipient of these government benefits to receive a larger distribution or what would generally be considered a prohibited distribution because maybe the trust can continue to pick up these bills. Maybe it's a trust that just has so much money in it uh, that the recipient losing out on some of their government benefits is not the end of the world. Uh, if the trust allows for it, uh, then the trustee can have that discretion. But generally speaking and best practices is the trustees will look at those rules for uh, what benefits program they're on and make distributions in adherence to those rules so that the beneficiary does not get kicked off those benefits. Wow. Well, setting up a special needs trust sounds like it, it could be expensive 
and maybe a little complicated, especially for modest gifts or an or an inheritance, a modest one. Are there any other options to protect that money? Would uh, both of you weigh in on that? Yeah, I'll I'll take this one first. Uh, there is such a thing called an ABLE account. That's capital A, capital B, capital L, capital E. You know, and I think mo- most, if not all, states actually have this option. Um, the rules on setting up ABLE accounts are, are pretty complicated, and they are actually useful for small amounts of money. Now, they do have some limitations. I think probably the major limitation is, is that the person who, the beneficiary of those funds has to have been disabled, you know, or have to have the special need um, uh, before they attain the age of 26. So for people like, let's say they're, let's say if a person who's been very healthy, you know, and maybe injured in an automobile accident in their 40s, you know, they won't qualify. But for other people, uh, they can they can qualify for it. And and an able account can is, can be useful for small amounts of money. I think the limit is maybe a hundred thousand that you can put in an able account. And actually, the nice part about able accounts too is is that that relatives and other people can actually put money into an able account as well for that person. And Dana, I think I'll chime in as far as the trust sounding expensive. They're, they're not as expensive as people think. I think when people hear trust planning, they think of, you know, the Hiltons and the Vanderbilts and, and these types of families where there's this generational wealth and that it's managed by these trusts. But trusts can have a huge positive impact on, on regular everyday people. And the cost of of not getting a trust set up, even if it's a modest amount, let's say it's $20,000, dollars $40,000 that you're leaving that individual, the cost of trying to deal with that and seeking out the legal counsel after the fact and trying to get this set up in a scramble when you've already inherited it and you're not sure what to do and now the clock is ticking on you, uh, that can end up being more expensive than just doing things right the first time. I think we're all well aware that you know when you do something right, you do it once. And when you do it early, it generally costs less than when you do it at the last second. And so going in and seeing an attorney who's skilled in, in this area, uh, I, I think people would be surprised at, at how much it really costs. And when you weigh it as far as the benefit for the individual who's going to receive this money, for the peace of mind of the person who wants to leave this money to them, to know, yes, they are going to get the use and benefit of whatever asset I'm leaving them because I'm leaving it to them in the right way and it's all set up for them so I'm not leaving them a mess after my passing or something like that. It's almost impossible to put a price on that. Exactly. That's that's really the message, the takeaway here is, is it, it's, it's to get out in front of it rather than to... Uh, have to deal with it at the back end. Well, such great information and advice. Thank you all for uh, joining us. I think that's all that I have for today. And I would like to thank everyone for joining us and listening. Take Us McGinnis is a life care planning law firm helping families respond to the legal and financial challenges caused by a chronic illness or the disability of an elderly loved one. Please join us next week for another episode of Aging Starts Now. 
thank you for listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast. For more information about today's show, visit tn-elderlaw.com, click on the free resources tab, and then click on Aging Starts Now. You'll find the show notes there. And while you're at it, why not check out all the free resources available at tn-elderlaw.com? Document downloads, the Tagus McGinnis blog, educational videos, informative articles, helpful links, a TV show, and more. It's all there, free for the taking. If you enjoy listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, please subscribe, rate the show, or leave us a review. It's easy to do on whatever app you use to listen. We would love your feedback on the show. Aging Starts Now. We'll be back next week with more candid discussions about challenges created by aging, disability, and unexpected illness.